trigger warning. This episode contains discussion on the subject of suicide. Welcome to the Mental Health and You podcast. This podcast brings you information and advice from across the Norfolk and Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, with a range of teams, services and those who use them sharing their experiences and wisdom with us every fortnight. Right, I'm here this morning with uh, a group of, of people, fellow veterans. Uh, we'll just introduce ourselves and uh, and a serving member of the armed forces. Um, we'll just introduce ourselves, and then we're, we're just basically going to talk through a few things that have happened or happen when you leave the armed forces and the struggles that people may have uh, had along the way. So my name's Wayne Ward. I work for NSFT. I am the Armed Forces and Veterans Practitioner for the Veterans Integrated Service, which is NSFT's own veterans mental health team. Uh, I served 31 years in the Royal Anglian Regiment. Hello, my name's Keith, Keith Reeve. Um, I'm uh, an ex-veteran um, of all three services. I started off in the Royal Marines, broke my leg in there, didn't get through training, uh, then went to the Royal Anglians, the TA, um, served two years with them and then uh, served six years in the RF regiment. But yeah, I've been in support of mental health, having suffered um, and can't thank um, what Wayne and his team have done enough. My name's Dave Billings. Uh, I served for 12 years in the Royal Air Force as a firefighter. Uh, in 1991, I attended an incident uh, that resulted in me getting uh, PTSD. That wasn't diagnosed until 2016 uh, and I've uh, struggled with it. Uh, been a couple of times where I've hit rock bottom, uh, but just starting to attend the group that started to change around and I, now I'm getting more and more, uh, more and more involved in the, the group. It's helping me a lot. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name's uh, uh, Mick Green. I have uh, served uh, as a uh, as a soldier and officer from 1983 uh, to the regular service in 2013, when I joined the uh, Army Reserve as a full-time reserve. I'm currently ser- serving as a full-time uh, reserve in the capacity as a welfare officer for the 3rd Battalion. Uh, I've worked closely with uh, Wayne, uh, integrating some of our veterans as they transitioned from regular service from reserve service uh, back into the civilian community. Uh, and I think the wraparound care that we have now, particularly with NFS team, is there to help everyone and we can grow from that. So if you want to start first, Keith, Keith, and just a quick sort of like snapshot of what you thought it was going to be like when you uh, were, were leaving the uh, RF regiment and what, what, what it actually was like for you. When I left in 2008, the conflicts in Iraq and Afghan were still quite in the media, in the in the public eye, and off of there. But I left for my then wife because um, she gave me an ultimatum. Um, she couldn't cope uh, with the constant tours and stress. And strangely, today. Um, is actually the 7-7 terrorist attack, the anniversary of of, uh, the bombings in London on the underground and the the bus. Um, My then wife was actually pregnant 
and and I didn't know if she was in London that day, and I was in Iraq that day. Um, the tables were kind of turned because it was the first time we felt how they felt, um, and you kind of held your breath until you knew that they were safe. But yeah, it's it's a long process to admit that you need help. There was quite a stigma um, around before. Um, I've had loads of help from lots of different charities. Um, but this, this is like a turning point, um, especially if you meet someone who's experienced some of the things you have and you don't necessarily need to say things on there. So, but uh, yeah, the transition to Siri Street has uh, been quite a difficult one in Siri's uh, understanding on there. Uh, I remember when I first got treatment, um, some of the NHS staff were in tears before I'd even managed to talk about some of the major things, you know, and I just felt that I couldn't tell them anymore because I didn't want to upset them anymore. But yeah, it's come a long way. It really has. Cheers for that, Keith, um, and for sharing those bits. Mr Billings, um, what were you what what were you expecting when you you were leaving the RAF and what was it actually like? I think life in the military in general, you recognised on your performance, uh, and I just thought that's going to carry on. There was no reason for me to think otherwise. You work hard at your job, you get recognised. That could mean promotion. That could mean extra responsibility. Um, and I didn't understand that's not how uh, it normally works in Silly Street. Your work hard doesn't always get recognised in the way that it should in terms of promotion or security or stability. Um, that's something that I've always struggled with. The my PTSD has affected uh, how my relationships have developed and how I've maintained them. Um, I don't understand to what extent because I've got no comparison, but it has affected my uh, my drive to work, uh, to do well in whatever role I'm in, and the frustrations that have happened where for commercial reasons, that private role that I was in or that civilian role that I was in didn't get established, didn't work. Um, and that's always been a struggle for me. And it just seems to be that I've been through ups and downs of starting a job, working well, getting recognised within that role, and then it all falling apart and then having to start again. And when I first met Wayne, uh, one of the things I said to him was, I haven't got the fight in me anymore. I can't do it anymore. And uh, that was, I was at my lowest end. I was, I was at work uh, one day and found myself sat in my car and I was planning I was going to take my own life, um, which was the, the wake-up call that I needed the next day. I walked in to come back to coffee and said uh, and ordered a, a coffee and a chat. Uh, and from there, um, it's in recovery. Lovely. Thanks for sharing it, Dave. Um, 
myself, I, I, I think I think I was expecting everything to when I left the army to be in the same place it was when I joined the army, as in friends, people you know, family and everything. Um, and clearly, it's not going to be after 30, 31 years. So, um, and I also struggled a lot with, like, the, touching on like what you said, Dave. In in the when you're in the forces, no matter what job you do, no matter what rank you are, you're an important cog in a really big machine. But it doesn't matter how small that cog is, you're important. When you leave, you're not in the important cog where you feel you're not an important cog in any machine. There's not, you know, you're so used to getting things done and things in the force is so kinetic. You 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 want something done, it's done within hours, if not, you know, quicker. You know, anything in Civvy Street, I can't do that. You might have to wait a week or it could take two, three weeks, could take a month. And I also struggle with people's work ethic, not because there's anything wrong with people's work ethic. It's just values and standards from the armed forces selfless commitment you know and 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 you know you're paid to do a job you're always told that in the armed forces paid to do a job you do it to the best of your ability if you don't like doing that job leave and it's not civilians people's fault it's just the way i'm now made up and it's my values and standards and i had to took me a bit of time to realize that everyone every everyone has different values and standards and having served in the armed forces, your values and standards are totally different to anyone who hasn't served. And that's something I had to get my head round rather than keep saying, oh, why aren't they doing that? My partner pointed out to me, it's not, it's not their fault. You're just expecting them to be at the same, have the same values and standards as you've got, and they haven't. It's just the way of the world. It's just the way it is. Um, I'm a lot better now. Um, I think I'm very lucky in the role I do, uh, working and supporting fellow veterans, and I, I wouldn't want to be in any other job at, the, uh, at this moment in time. Uh, Mick, have you got anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I will, I will do actually, because you kind of like bring up a point that I can absolutely recognise. You know what some people have done, uh, set up Comet to Coffee. Uh, the the output from that, the inclusivity, is kind of fundamentally that's a success network. Uh, where veterans can grow, like-minded people who can talk in the language that people understand, and reach out to get help. Yeah, uh, I think I think fundamentally we need to grow that across the region more. Yeah, totally, man. Absolutely. Um, I found it it was so much easier just to be able to walk in so can I have a chat rather than pick up the phone. That picking up the phone that that's a big barrier. I don't know why. I don't know what it is, but that's an admission that you've got a problem. Whereas just walking in and saying, can I have a copy in the chat with somebody? It's so much different and made it so much easier for me in that situation. And it might, might be that, you know, we're kind of fundamentally having a multi-agency meeting here today to talk about other kind of people in, in support. Maybe we kind of take that and take that meeting into there one day, don't know. Yeah. You know, just so we can, we can widen people's understanding of what's available yeah i absolutely agree with you the um that model of the combat to coffee uh, combat to coffee itself has to succeed 100 percent, it has to succeed uh, and that model should be rolled out as, as as far as possible i think i, I think 
Um, NSFT have sort of done that with their crisis hubs and their um, it, it's having that realisation that we're all you're all there to help each other and if you work together you can achieve a lot more than working in silos you break those silos down and you work so the the, the main places I use when I I, I, I use um, facilitate the veterans wellbeing support group the combat to coffee and steamhouse cafe run by access um, just because there's no you know it's ideal place they're both you know, especially in, in, in the Steamhouse Cafe is a crisis hub. So that's an ideal place for me to go and sit and for veterans when they come in. Oh, did you, uh, the staff, are you aware we have a veterans group here on this day or that day? Um, you look at, we had, we, when we had the bike ride the other week and we, we had the stall on the Saturday on Armed Forces Day, the amount of people that didn't know Combat to Coffee was there or didn't, mm. were amazed that there's a veterans group. And then, we, a week later, two weeks later, we're looking at 20 veterans attending the Tuesday group. There's absolutely heaving there on a Tuesday. So that's, yes. it's word of mouth and getting out there. And I think if the more we push it, and I think Mick, you're absolutely right. I think we do need to have the multi-agency meeting and have all the agencies meet and come back to coffee. We'll just get it open on a Monday or whatever day, or we'll, we'll change a day and we'll all meet there. So moving on from that, Keith, how, what support are you getting now and how, how, what effect has being a member of a, a group full of veterans had on you and how, how, how have the events helped? Um, I think for me personally, it gives you that sense of purpose again. It gives you that sense of belonging again in terms of that other people understand your your some of your service some of the the, the military way of lives um but it just gives you that drive to to turn things around from what you know from personally being in a dark place to actually then wanting to help others and it's yeah it's quite humbling actually so how to so have have get involved? How like the event we did the other week, the bike ride, and then on the Armed Forces Day, how how has that helped you doing that? Then um, you just feel that sense of belonging again, and it's just that um, that you're useful again. You know, yeah, in that terms. Um, some of us couldn't ride because of injuries or, or uh, ill health or what have you, but we could help out in other ways. Um, and that's the same thing of how it used to be in the military, that everyone helps everybody else. Yeah. And there's a network in place um, for that. But yeah, trying to turn the positives, the negatives into positives. Yeah, definitely. and it's everyone having a role. No, you know, so, if if you, even if you couldn't carry anything, there was you could still stand there and talk to people, or or hand leaflets out, or or you know, but that you know, that is absolutely probably the most fundamental point of the NSFT veteran wellbeing support groups are to stop social social isolation and to have that sense of belonging. As soon as you get that sense of belonging, you hit the nail on the head. That's it. You know, you when you leave, I think the best way to describe it, when I left the army, it was almost like I, it was a bereavement. 
something had died and I'd lost something. But then when you get involved with fellow veterans, you, you get that back uh, and, you, and it starts to get back on track. What about you, Dave? You, Right. You, had, you played a pivotal part in that. You were you were my two. I've seen my right hand man. So uh, I was going to say when I left uh, the Royal Air Force, I didn't know it at the time, but it was my PTSD that was driving that decision uh, not to re-enlist. Um, I just knew at that time that I wanted to get out. I, I didn't want to be in. Didn't want to be. Or have the potential to put myself back into that position, back in that scenario that caused my PTSD. So that's why I left. So this, I didn't have this, I'm leaving this big family scenario, I was escaping. But being part of this veterans group, there's certain parts, certain parts of everyone's story that are difficult to talk about. But within that group, you don't have to say it because everybody else already knows that those points that you struggle to to bring up and struggle to talk about. Um, in regards to PTSD, how it affects your relationship, how it's affected my relationship with my wife, with my children. Being part of the group and being getting more involved, Wayne, I think, recognised that I needed a little bit more to get involved in uh, a bit more responsibility and that gave me uh, a satisfaction because somebody was benefiting from what I was doing. And it was enjoyable, it was a good laugh and it was. Going and call me up, we need this and this and this, and it was almost like back in the military, right? OK, I know what the thing, I know what the objective is. I got out and sort it and, it, and, and make a few phone calls and we ended up with some banners and some flags coach that we didn't need but it, it was good it was you set an objective you work towards it and you achieve it that just feels good in doing that awesome but is, is there anything you want to add to the mix i think it's just a, a recognizing that the strengths of that group do exactly that and it brings everything together i think we've got yeah. we've all got a kind of job to reach out to our own communities to make sure we're plugging everybody along together. Yeah, it, it self perpetuates. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the lovely part about the group as well, you have veterans who are open to NSFT and you know uh, have support from um, either a community mental health team or um, the Veterans Integrated Service. But then you you also have veterans that come along because of the social isolation. But then you have veterans like yourself, Mick, or, or you're still serving, but people who want to be part of that just for the because of what it means to them like yourself and Davey um you know you're, you're staunch supporters of the group and always have been and I'll take this opportunity now to thank you for all your support uh, it's been amazing um is there anything anyone else wants to add while we're here um it's that social isolation um that was starting to really take a hold of me I never told anybody about my or the incident that caused my PTSD for 25 years. I didn't speak to anyone, not even my wife, because at first I didn't recognize it. And then as soon as I did recognize it or became aware of it, um, it was difficult to talk about because I was 
always trying to protect the other person. I don't want to tell them anything because I don't want to, as Keith said before, I don't want to upset them. I don't want to transfer my trauma over onto them. So I would always hold it back. I heard somebody say something uh, about a, a veteran. Um, a veteran's like an open book, but you never get the full story. But you don't need the full story no. within that group because other people already know the different bits and pieces. And that just makes it easier to sit down and to talk with them and. and yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a big difference between empathy and sympathy. Walking in, walking in the same shoes that someone else has trod or most of the group have trod. Like you say, you don't even have to say it. You've you said it earlier on, Keith. You don't have to explain it because you just tell me I know. We, you know, don't even have to go into any depth because you get it. And I think that's one of the biggest uh, drives of the group. And obviously, hope, we hope that the groups go from strength to strength. Um, Mick, is there anything you want to talk about from people leaving the forces and then? Yeah, I, 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 I do think we could do a little bit more to make sure that seamless transition is kind of overarched and, and we make sure that people aren't dropped that then and every kind of it's a regimental duty working tirelessly hard to make sure that happens what i think we don't do is we don't have the civilian practitioners to come into that kind of piece earlier to say this is what's going to happen when you leave it is my intent, if I'm going to look enough to kind of get the program I want, to be able to do some remedial action on that and kind of touch that uh, for my my particular kind of part on that. Just to talk to regular people who just come to the end of their service to say, this is what to expect, but this is where to go and get the support you need. I think even the ministry, even the service is very different depending on the service you're in. Um, because of the structure of the army, the way that it's set up with the regiments and corps, there's a lot of family type support from within the regiment that you belong to. And that's it. You you join that regiment and normally that's it until you, the day that you leave. And that's a very family orientated environment. The RAF, you're an individual. So you, it works. The RAF works better in terms of that global or, or that a global sort of umbrella of support of the Royal Air Force Benevolent Fund, anybody can call up. The Army uh, don't really have that, but where they come into their own strengths is that regimental support or regimental associations. Um, so leaving the military can be very different depending on which service you're in. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. When when you initially leave and you hand your identification in, part of you you changed from that moment. Yeah. Plus. It's quite a moment to hand that card in. And it depends on how you are treated. Yeah. In how that affects. Yeah. You know, um literally yeah. seeing your card cut up in front of you and then just like, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah that, if yeah. you had a good time, like you say, if you really enjoyed it, yeah. uh, you're like it is a but you you begrudgingly hand it over. You don't want to hand it over because you want to keep hold of that for you want to suck every last second of being in the forces 
mm. you know, you don't want it to end, but because, you know, or because you're having to leave for a different reason. Obviously, if you've, if you've, if you, if it's, if you've not enjoyed your time in the forces, probably different ball game, totally different ball game, um, because it's not for everyone. But yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. You, it's being, I've served, I served 31 years in a regiment, a Royal Anglian regiment, and everyone knows everyone. Everyone know, you know, is a big, huge family. As you know, my dad was Royal Anglian, so you know, my granddad was Essex Regiment, my great granddad was Essex. So you are right. We move around. I've got people I serve with, and I know, and I still keep in touch with. I've known for thirty odd years, thirty four years, because we move around together suddenly for that whole time frame. You're in a corps. It's a bit like being in the RAF to a degree because you move around individually you don't always move around together so attack regiments like in the infantry um yeah it's not a big family and I think you hit the nail on the head yeah, it's, yeah. Um, if you uh if you leave a regiment then you're leaving people that you've known friends yeah that you've known for yeah. you for donkey's years yeah yeah Within the Air Force, there's a lot of specialist roles, there's a lot of technical roles, and then there's a lot of specialist roles. When I left the Air Force, there was less than 600 firefighters yeah. in the entire Air Force. That's um, not a lot. There is uh, RAF Firefighters Association, but it's a social yeah. uh, association rather than a, a welfare and supportive thing. Um, but it, I think it is very different for the service leader. I don't know what the, the Navy's like in terms of leaving the service leaders, mm. their level of support. But I just think there's um, that one to one contact that uh, a soldier leaving a regiment rather than the corps yeah. is uh, it's a lot better. Going back to something you said earlier on, it's just hit me when you when you said about 2007 for the 1st Battalion being a really a, a bad year. Obviously, I was still in the first battalion that time, um, and I think we're talking about the family, you know, regiments in the army being a family. And I think that's why it hit everyone so hard is because everyone knows everyone. There's not many people you don't say hello to in a battalion when you're walking around in your camp. Um, obviously, lost on that tour, lost one of their best mates, hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, I was in the army careers office in Barry St Edmonds and my mate John and phoned me and said, you need to sit down, mate, we lost Daz. And I was like, oh my God, I, I didn't I didn't even go to work that day. I, I got back on my motorbike after having a couple of rollies and having a word of myself and went back home and didn't, didn't work that day. And yeah, it does, I think, because you you work so closely with each other and you know each other. Uh, and he was a larger than life character. There were some lovely lads we lost that year, um, but yeah, it just hit you harder being in a being in a family regiment. I think, from my that's my opinion. But yeah, yeah. And also, you also got to realise, and they brought it home to me. And I was looking at that, going, how often we're at uh, events and recruiting events. You know, once you kind of instill and kind of pass back the good parts of what we've done. You know, and I want people to have the good things and the fortune that I, I have had in my kind of career. But I've also been really wary now to say, you need to be really careful about the language you're using when you're in these, these places where people originate from and the family still reside there. Yeah. Got to be very kind of careful and tactful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely. Yeah, would have paid the family have paid the ultimate price. Yeah. There's um I've worked in uh recovery for service troops, some that have been um serving. Uh, run like a, a rustic recovery, like in the woods. Um yeah, it is, yeah. But there's something like two two thousand two hundred and thirty-five service charities. Um, some of them are good, or uh, most of them are amazing, and but some of them are below average, and it it does depend very wholly on that welfare team on where your sign posted. Um, and I've I've had a lot of units that that was completely lost and you you know uh, it was kind of like wow there's so much help there it's a little bit overwhelming yeah off of that but if that welfare officer's on the ball but yeah there definitely needs to be more unices and in working together in that. Yeah. and then what you said earlier in the multi-agencies i went on a program called the warrior program um, and that involved emergency services yeah. and spouses as well. So you you stopped and you actually took on board other people's views from other angles. Yeah. So the mums or the you know the, the siblings um, and all those other views, and it actually started to go, okay, yeah, I, I need to be aware of what I'm saying around people in case I trigger them off yeah. off of there. And that's sometimes for some it's quite difficult because in the in the military it's kind of like need to get their voice heard. Yeah. If you like, for a lot of people. Well I think um you pick pick up on a point you just said, Keith. Um a lot of veterans that I go and support um, find it overwhelming because they have no support because they're not in a place where they can ask for support. Or So they, they'll have a couple of few years or however long and they won't ask for support. But now we've sort of like, especially having our own veterans mental health team within NSFT, they ask for support and then they do feel overwhelmed because they've got all this support and it goes from having nothing to having everything. And they, you know, and it can be overwhelming. That's not as professionals, as practitioners, you just need to take that step back and maybe let one person go in uh, and do that bit of work. Um, obviously, we could go on for hours and hours and talk about this. And perhaps, you know, if if it's needed, we we'll do another podcast and get a few more more people involved. Um, final words you want to say? I will just go around the table, Keith. Any final words you want to say? Um, just thank you. Thank you to all all the service charities and yourself, NS, NSF, um, NSFT, yeah. NSFT. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Dave, any final notes from yourself? Uh, I think the most important thing that can happen, and the reason, um, hopefully, the reason why this podcast is being done, more ways that you can make that veteran aware that he needs help or she needs help. Uh, every opportunity has to be made to take that because I didn't recognise I had PTSD until I saw somebody else talking about how they were suffering. 
I didn't recognize it within myself. So the more ways that you can just let people know that they might be struggling, the better. Anything from yourself? It is really kind of interesting and we, we recognize that. We think of veterans, we think of people that are kind of similar to our age group. But also we've realized that there's, there's veterans who are much, much older who need that you know, but haven't got access to all the, yeah, the internet, the IT, uh, how do we reach them? How do we reach the, the younger members yeah. equally? Uh, all veterans. Yeah. yeah, I think I think absolutely right. And I think what we need to do um, is keep doing the events we're doing. Uh, it's not always about you know collecting money for charities. Um, you can't buy money, can't purchase what you can do. Talking to someone and signposting, you know, it's priceless. If you you know if you help one veteran and you stood there all day and you've saved one veteran, that's that's a winner winner. Um, obviously. We're going to do some more of these and if you're interested in if you're a veteran or you know a veteran and you're interested in uh, finding out about nsft veteran well-being support groups they'll be on the trust um, internet but you can also google it and they they should pop up um obviously don't need to say you know if you feel like you need uh, immediate support or you know one 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 option too but if you're a veteran you can self-refer to op courage no matter what part of the country you're in or, or if you're a professional uh, you can uh, refer that veteran to op courage uh, as long as you've got their permission um we're going to knock it on the head and wrap it up today but um thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to us and thank you for supporting veterans thanks for listening please subscribe to make sure you don't miss a future episode. Let us know what you thought of this episode by reaching out on social media. If you haven't already, listen back to previous episodes to hear some of the best mental health advice for you.